0: Yeah, I mean, this is like this is very reminiscent of like the API boom, um, in terms of like the feverish like interest in the space and like all of the activity. I mean, like I'm sure you guys weren't even doing this like you know two years ago or something. Um, So it's like, like yeah, it's like it's most similar to that. Sounds good. So
1: should we get started? Yeah, let's get started. All right. Um, Okay. Well, hello everybody uh, and welcome uh, to the Generative AI uh, Meetup podcast. Uh, We have. Uh, a really exciting episode today um, we're with uh, Carter today uh, who's a uh, developer uh, relations manager uh, or, <laughs> I don't know how to
0: describe your exact position I mean, I'm uh, just, I'm head of developer relations sure I mean yeah you know, what do titles mean right I uh, I think I think what matters is you know I I work in developer relations at data stacks okay. um, and you know I spend my time thinking about how we can you know serve developers and Help them help bootstrap bootstrap their journeys into generative AI. Awesome.
1: Uh, So, uh, would you maybe uh, start off by giving a little background about yourself?
0: Uh, Like, who are you? Uh, Yeah. uh, In addition to your title, and like, what do you do? (laughs) Yeah, sure. I mean, um, so my name is Carter Rabasa. I work at DataStax now, but I've been in the tech industry for over twenty years. Um, You know, I was I you know back when computer science degrees were like necessary things to getting into this industry. I graduated with a CS degree, um, worked as a software engineer for, uh, for several years. Um, and personally, like I realized that this was not my destiny. You know, I didn't want to, I couldn't close my eyes and imagine myself being some kind of software, you know, senior software engineer, like in, in, in my future. So I went through what a lot of people do through. I went through kind of a, a career shift, went to grad school, um, and then, uh, Got hired by Microsoft um, out of grad school, and this is back in the late, like, late two thousands. Right, right during the uh, the financial crisis. For people that are old enough to remember that, Mm -hmm. so it's kind of I felt pretty, pretty lucky to be getting hired anywhere. Um, And Microsoft was—I'm from the East Coast in the U.S. and Microsoft was what brought me out to the West Coast. So I live in Seattle now, um, and and I moved back to Seattle back in two thousand nine. Anyway, I don't want to—I don't want to rattle on for too long, but. I quickly found out within a few years that being in marketing was also not something that I was excited about. I missed the code. Um, I missed being part of technical conversations. And I think like a lot of people, like I had a lot of like anxiety and self-doubt about like, where do I fit into the world, right? Like I'm a, I'm a technical person. I love working with code, but I love lots of other things um, that are involved in te- the technology industry, like, you know, marketing, business, like how products are created, Um, And that was when I discovered DevRel. So I I personally discovered DevRel in 2012 when I left Microsoft to go work for a company which at the time was unknown. It was called Twilio. Hmm. And everyone laughs about that now. But back when I joined, when I told all of my colleagues and all of my peers that I was going to work for a company called Twilio... They, first of all, confused it with a real estate company called Trulia. <laughs> um, and then when they Googled it and looked it up, they totally couldn't believe I was joining a company that did phone call API stuff. They thought I had lost my mind. Um, so that was back in 2012. So I I joined Twilio, and that's where I, I, I learned about DevRel. And I was on the early DevRel team at Twilio for uh, a little over three years. Um, and Twilio was one of the companies at the time that was really like reinventing DevRel in terms of like what it means. Uh and and post Twilio, I've had other kinds of jobs. I I was a I actually transitioned to being a product manager um at the company. Um that's that's actually not as uncommon as you think. Like when you're when you're in DevRel, you are in engaging with developers on a daily basis, right? You're talking to developers You're understanding what they like about your company's APIs and platforms, but also like where they get stuck and like what things are bothering them. And I I collected three years of those stories and I ended up moving over to product to help fix those problems from the product side. Um, So and now and now I'm at Datastacks. Um, So, you know, I lead our DevRel team. So I I did a I had a couple of jobs after DevRel none of them were um, as interesting um, or as fulfilling as DevRel. So I kind of find my, found my way back to this space. Um, so, yeah, so I'm kind of back in DevRel, and I'm loving it. That's uh, that's really cool you worked
2: at uh, Tulio around uh, 2012, because I think uh, I was uh, at my first internship around that time. Um, this was in Chicago at, like, a healthcare startup, and we were doing some kind of a patient triage intake system. So I built a chat voice chatbot using Tulio, and I think uh, at that time, um, Tulio was the gold standard for developer documentation. It was fantastic. Uh, we, when I was at uh, another startup after that, it was like trying to build our documentation to model Tulio's um, aesthetic and like uh, how clean and polished it was. And now I think um, a lot of startups have taken that. Um, a uh, framework like I think uh, Stripe is beautiful documentation and
0: well no, no one cared about that in the past I think yeah and now I think it's becoming a- but I can I can kind of I'll, I'll and I and by the way I'm sorry like I love I love the topic and I tend to ramble but like I can explain that quickly right like and by the way Stripe was a contemporary of Twilio like Stripe inspired a lot of the stuff we did at Twilio and I hope that we inspired them but we were we were doing these things were at around the same time and, and and Stripe is has been super influential in their own way Stripe and Twilio and many other modern platform companies approach building the product, every, everything from the, the, the APIs themselves to the documentations to the Quick Starts to, to DevRel to those kinds of things, they approach it from the perspective of like, if we make it as easy as humanly possible for individual developers, no matter what company they work for, to to use, to use our product, adopt it, play with it, do things with it, we believe that if we do that at scale, like we will be successful as a business. That we will sort of that these developers will become our advocates, and they will push up into their companies um, the, the the usefulness of Twilio like as a solution to a problem. That is completely different than how software and platforms and and like uh, APIs were sort of um, marketed and sold in the past. You know, in the 80s or the 90s, like it was a top-down model where a salesperson would sell something to a to a some kind of purchaser like at a target company a cio or a cto um the conversations would happen at a high level and then the company would purchase the platform or the product or the database and then they would basically tell their developers all right everybody here's what we're using with no input from them right like that was the old way of like how things worked and and uh, and unsurprisingly oftentimes like the developers would be on the receiving end of things that were hard to use, or didn't, or had bad documentation, or didn't work properly, because the people making the purchase decision weren't necessarily technical enough to understand that, right? And that's and that's where you just sort of ended up in a really bad place. So companies like Twilio and Stripe and you know DataStax today, they're approaching this from the opposite angle, right? Where it's like, hey, if we build the right thing for developers, the people who are actually writing the code, like they will help us, you know, sort of make the case inside of these companies that, like, this is a great solution to what we're trying to do. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of a, it's kind of modern. And of course, like, now you see startups, like, it's it's almost taken as gospel, right? Like, you know, and most startups, you know, coming out of YC or just getting started these days, like, they kind of understand, like, the value of, of approaching developers in this way. Um, but even today, like it's not universal. like you can go find apis and platforms that like really have really bad documentation or like really confusing quick starts. Um, so I think it's like more popular than it used to be, but it still isn't like pervasive. That legacy approach uh, of top-down sales uh,
2: brings to mind companies like uh, Oracle, SAP, and some of these big uh, tech giants where you know you sell these massive products and, these companies get locked into their ecosystem and make it really hard to switch, regardless of what the developers at that company want.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think like um, it's you know it, it it I think this is the right way to sort of build products and be successful. Like, I'll kind of concede that like maybe there are instances where you know you can get away with doing it the other way, but that's not the kind of company that I want to work at, and that's not the kind of like product that like I want to. Um, I want to work with right um the devrel to me people ask like what is devrel like what is you know what do you do like what's the point right like to me devrel is all about helping developers be successful like completely completely regardless of like whether they're uh, you know an individual hacking on something in their garage or whether they work at ford motor company like devrel is you know kind of like revenue agnostic like we're just trying to help developers be successful and the the that ethos uh tends you know over time has fantastic business um like outcomes because sometimes that person hacking on something in their garage like turns into foursquare you know or or or, or even when they don't that developer ends up getting a job um you know at ESPN right i mean like understanding and by the way like no, even even when those people don't, you know, don't necessarily um, go on to to work at companies that you know have that are huge revenue possibilities, because they're still developers. And the kind of feedback that you get from them about, because of course, all the things I'm seeing about like the product being easy to use and the documentation being clear, like these are aspirational. Like it, or, you're never done. Like you're always trying to make it easier and clearer and faster to get started. So even even if you forget about, you know, what it what it means to the business, like you can still get fantastic feedback from developers and you can turn that around and provide that to product and engineering teams so that they can they can build and ship better products. Um so that's kind of how I think about devrel and I think when you look at like the devrel programs and teams that like really make a difference and have a big impact, like I think that I think that you see those things in common.
1: Yeah. I uh, I you know I think that's that's a really uh good thing. I mean, uh as you mentioned, I think there's always the uh kind of the delicate balance between, you know, who is actually purchasing uh software and then who is using it. And I think that um it's an awesome thing when uh, the people selling the software like uh, are able to focus on the actual end user and not necessarily the person who's making the uh, purchasing decision. Um because I think that uh you know, helps breed success in the long run. So, anyways, uh, right now we are at a hackathon um, where we are, uh, you know, we pulled you aside and uh, it's all about uh, uh, RAG, Retrieval Augmented Generation, Mm -hmm. and uh, Generative AI. Um, And uh, we are planning on using, uh, and a lot of people are using uh, some of Datastack's uh, products uh, like um, AstroDB, uh, for example. Um, Could you maybe uh, just, you know, give like a, 50,000-foot overview of, like, (laughs) what is AstroDB and um, why would somebody uh, maybe want to use it?
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, like, I guess, you know, for the people who are listening that don't know what RAG is, or maybe don't remember because there's so many acronyms flying around, like, what is retrieval augmented generation? It's just the idea that, you know, um, if you can visualize an iceberg um, in your head, like, there's this classic, like, meme or image where, like, the majority of the iceberg is under the water, right? The majority. If you think of the tip of the iceberg that's above the water as like publicly available information, right? This is the stuff that Google crawls. This is the stuff that uh, OpenAI scrapes to build their LLMs. Um, There's ten times or a hundred times more data that is not public, that's under the waterline, um, and that LL, and the LLMs are not trained on and have no ability to, to sort of have access to. So uh, the point of RAG is to figure out, well, crap, like if my company has, you know, I don't know, uh, like thousands and thousands of like financial reports, and I want to create like a conversational natural language interface to ask questions such as, uh, what was the total revenue in APAC, you know, in Q3 of, of fiscal 2023? Um, ha- like you can't ask that to open, you can't ask, you can't ask ChatGPT that question. ChatGPT doesn't know. So the retrieval part of the augmentation is like, okay, well, what if you could pull relevant private information and feed that as context to a, mo- a language model like ChatGPT where it could actually like, format a reasonable and accurate answer to that question? So that's what RAG is. Um, AstroDB is a NoSQL and Vector Database. Um, but let's just let's focus on the and th- and those two things are super important, right? Like AstraDB, can it can be it can it can contain and hold all of your normal application data. So for the developers, you know, on the call or the non-developers too, right? Just imagine any app you would want to build, like you know, a Twitter clone or a Yelp clone or like whatever you're trying to build. Think of all the data that you need to like build that app. Um, Astra can 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 handle that data, right? Um, but Astro can also handle vector data, right? So it's sort of a two-in-one solution for developers. Um, so why does it, how, is it, how does a vector database, how is it relevant to RAG? Well, in the scenario that I just described, someone asks the question about revenue in Q3 of 2023. You, in order to implement RAG, you would take that text and you would run it through a language model to create a vector, um, and then let's assume that we have vectorized all of these financial documents that I'm talking about, and we stored them in Astra, um, like with the textual stuff that was that was vectorized along with the vectors themselves. Then, so you have you have this vector that represents the question you're asking, and and you can use that as input to Astra's vector search, and you can say like, hey, here's a vector, give me the ten or 10, you know, 5, 10, or 20, you know, documents that are most similar to this input vector, right? And that's the magic of vector search, right? And that's the magic of la- large language models, right? Like, langu- large language models, like, are, you know, they're, they're the reason that, like, the word dog and the word cat can actually be related to each other, even though they share, like, none of the same letters, right? Um, so so you get, so let's say we're going to get back the 10 most similar vectors, but, but as part of this vector search query we're also getting getting back the text we're getting back like the words about you know i don't know about the revenue and the q3 and all these things we then ask any language model you like but like let, let's assume it's, it's open ai we then feed that textual context with the, quest, the the actual text question that the user asked we feed it to OpenAI and through the magic of their chat completion api with the question that was asked And with the context that we provide, we get a really accurate, reasonable answer. So that's what RAG is. um, And that's kind of why you need a vector database in order to do RAG. Like, I said a lot of words, but just, like, think of it like this. If you didn't have RAG, you would sort of have to try to naively uh, package all of the content of all of your documents into the context window for your call to open AI. And as anyone who has worked with OpenAI, they just know that, like, the amount of data you can fit into context is limited, right? And if you're dealing with, like, thousands of documents or maybe hundreds of thousands of documents, you end up hitting the limit. So the vector database lets you narrow down the documents that you then can feed to OpenAI as context and just get better answers. Yeah, we had a
2: chat with uh, E Ding from Lama Index before this, and he mentioned the same thing and pointed out that uh, garbage in, garbage out. So <laughs> yeah. if you feed in irrelevant data to ChatGPT yeah. in the context window. It's going to take that irrelevant information and try to give that in the answer. So uh, this uh, retrieval augmented generation is kind of like a filtering step too yeah. to give you more
0: relevant info and then remove the irrelevant info when... Uh, giving an answer yeah you'll hear jargon you know like hallucinations and stuff like i think it's okay that's like a reasonably descriptive word but you know the 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 machine is not like hallucinating it just doesn't know right you're just you're overloading it with irrelevant data it doesn't know that the data is irrelevant and it's kind of making this best effort to construct like an answer for you so anything that you can do as a developer to like provide like the most relevant information and context as possible will cut down on those kinds of like situations.
1: So um, we've talked a lot about like the technical uh, intricacies of like RAG and like AstroDB. Um, But let's say I'm not a developer. And I just want to say like, you know, what types of things maybe like will I see coming in the next few years uh, built on this technology? Like, you know, what are some of the use cases that you think that Uh, maybe RAG can help build? And um, what are some cool use cases that you've seen uh, maybe like, you know, uh, in testing or that you've seen people uh, implement that scale um, that you think will uh, potentially, you know, see their way into consumer applications in the future? Yeah,
0: that's a a really good question. Um, I want to say, like, it's insane how early like we're, we're having, we're here having this conversation because AI, generative AI is, is exploding, right? I mean, you know, people, I've, I haven't seen this kind of excitement since the, uh, the AI boom or the API boom, you know, back in, I don't know, 2010-ish, that, that era. Um, it's just really, it's really intense, but, um, but it's early. It's like so early. I mean, the number of, I say, like, production-grade generative AI applications that, like, I have installed on my phone or that I use on a regular basis is pretty limited. So we, we talked a lot about, um, you know, AstroDB and a lot of the uh, technical
1: intricacies of it, right? And um, I think uh, what a lot of people want to know is what are uh, some of the actual use cases that you would see uh, being built out into the world, right? So um, maybe something that you've... Uh, some sort of use case that you think uh, could be built based off of the uh, RAG technology or uh, something that you've seen built. Uh, so, you know, not everybody is a developer. Not everybody's going <laughs> to necessarily use it, um, AstroDB. Um, but a lot of people want to potentially uh, use it maybe indirectly, uh, even without uh, maybe knowing that they're using AstroDB under the hood. So what types of like use cases do you think yeah. that we're going to see uh, in the uh, near future or um, maybe that are coming out now that yeah. uh, regular uh, users will be able to see. Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I
0: mean, it's you know we're we're, we're here because the amount of excitement around AI is off the charts. Um, I've I've never seen anything like this. I've been in the industry for over twenty years. Like, sort of version of this was the API boom um, back in like the twenty like about around twenty twenty ten and 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 there thereafter um, that you know that was like you know like. It, Twilio came out, Stripe came out, like every, it's, it felt like every weekend there was like an API hackathon where people were going crazy trying to glue together uh, various APIs to create new things. Um, that is what it feels like now, right? Like people have these incredibly powerful tools, these, like, these language models and these vector databases and these like orchestration layers and like they're incredibly powerful. Um, and everyone is just, like trying to figure out, great, like what can you make? Um, it's just so early. I feel, I feel like we're in like the first mile of a 26.2 mile marathon. Um, but I I will say this, uh, there's software, um, that like I use right now on a, on a regular basis. Like there's a startup, I'm not sure where they're located, but they're called Glean. Um, they, uh, they have sort of, I can't, I, I don't know what to, what to call it, except that it's like an insanely powerful search capability, um, for like a company's like private data. Uh, I can go and we use it here at DataStax, and I can go to Glean and I can type in your name, and it will it knows exactly who you are. It will pull up your profile. It will I can with one click I can kind of look at where you are on an org chart, um, but it also indexes all of our Google Docs. Like um, there are a bunch, you know, all of our Jira tickets. Like it's sort of plugged in. all these data sources so I can ask all kinds of other questions and get back incredibly like reasonable good answers like I'm incredibly impressed by Glean and Glean is like clearly like the definition of rag you know they are I, I won't pretend to understand all the implementation details right I don't I'm just a user I'm just using Glean but um it's incredibly impressive so uh that makes me feel super optimistic about like other interesting things coming out, maybe from a consumer perspective. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that like I have, I have two kids um, they are in like middle school. Um, I'm positive that by the time they're in high school or by the time they're like young adults, like they are going to be interacting with software and applications using like conversational natural language. And they will, and I think that anyone who has kids that are younger, if you have a kid, if you're out there right now and you've got a two-year-old or a five-year-old, you those kids aren't even going to be aware of a world where like you know you use software by like by like selecting from drop down menus or clicking radio buttons like that would be hilariously like antiquated to like this next generation of users um in terms of stuff in terms of stuff that like uh that has actually been built i mean a lot that's a, what a lot of like what me and other people at DataStacks are working on like you know a lot of a lot of my Team's job and responsibility is to like build demos that actually inspire developers about generative AI. Like, look, I don't, I don't know how people feel um, about crypto, and I'm not, and I'm not going to say anything about that, right? But crypto had a lot of hype. There was a lot of skepticism about it. Um, some people chose it as a line of work, um, and a lot of those people are now doing something else. Um, I understand why today people have some, not everybody, but some people have the same attitudes about generative AI is like, is this real? Is it a fad? Personally, like I never got into crypto, but I have now chosen to get into generative AI. So I don't think it's a fad, but I completely understand why a reasonable person who's been around the block a few times might have questions and might be wondering how real is this? So it's my job's team, my, my team's job, to like help inspire them by showing them real examples of stuff you can do. So, for instance, just in the last two months, um, we've lo- we built two awesome demos um, that illustrate RAG and illustrate like what you can do. So, we built a, for fun for funsies, We built a Taylor Swift chatbot um, back nice. in de- back in December. Well, we built we built it in literally like seven days. Um, because we wanted to launch it in time for her birthday. Mm. So her birthday was like December 5th. I'm, if you're a Swifty out there and I got the date wrong, don't, don't be mad at me. Um, but, uh, you know, we launched it on her birthday and the whole idea was we wanted, we, we wanted to build a chatbot that was like, it was a, it was like a, it, was, it represented a Taylor Swift super fan. Um, so not Taylor Swift herself, right? We wanted to build a chatbot where it's like it represented a super fan that knows everything about Taylor Swift, including like when her next concert is, where it is, like what her, everything about her discography, like, you know, wh- what the lyrics of certain songs are. Like that's the kind of stuff that we loaded into Astra and that we trained um, the, the chatbot to be able to answer questions about. And, and that's like, that's, that's it was not only was it fun to build, but like it's fun to play with, right? And I think that like creating fun and relatable software experiences is part of what you need to do to inspire developers and to show them it's real stuff. All the code's on GitHub, right? It's all open source, right? There's no smoke or mirrors. Like you could clone it and change it and make a Metallica chatbot or like whatever whatever you care about. The other demo that we built that um, I'm just really proud of, and it's even more of a real world use case. We built a Wikipedia chatbot. Where um, that is, I don't know how many developers know this, but Wikipedia has a real-time server-side push API where you can build software and you can receive real-time updates from Wikipedia every single time an article is edited on Wikipedia. Mm. So, so, So not only can you sort of like load Wikipedia into a vector database in the first place, you can keep it updated in real time as Wikipedia itself is changing. Like, anyone who has used Wikipedia or, like, knows anything about it, I mean, there are thousands or tens of thousands of editors all over the world that keep it up to date, right? So, you know, if you want to build a chatbot that is trained on Wikipedia, like, you can't take a snapshot in time, right? You need to continue to update it as Wikipedia itself changes. Um, And it was really awesome. And we were able to build this chatbot and sort of illustrate how you can um, ask wikipedia like one of the things that's like frustrating for me about wikipedia is that like if you go to wikipedia.org and you try to like ask a question you know like what is the population of washington state like you'd be stunned at like the how bad the the search results are right um and people consider wikipedia to be like i don't know one of the top five most authoritative sources of knowledge in the world um so yeah like you know i think like working and and we're currently like in the process of this is just something that we built on our own with off-the-shelf apis but you know we want to work with companies like wikipedia to like bake that into the product like to actually like make this something that's real that people around the world can can use to get their questions answered um so to me like those are like one of the, the taylor swift is sort of a fun silly example but hey look man a lot of really cool apps and companies like tick like think of like tiktok Like, I remember when TikTok came out, like, I thought it was kind of dumb and goofy and, like, who cares? And next thing I know, it's, like, it's the fastest growing social application in the world, right? Um, I think generative AI has the potential to help developers and startups create those (laughs) those kinds of new experiences. But I'll be honest, like, I don't know what they are. Because if I did I'd quit and I'd go and I'd go get I'd go raise around and I'd build it so like I think part of being at a platform company is being really humble about like my job is to make sure that we're building the best possible Legos for developers to use to build these amazing things and to of course like when there's when it doesn't work as advertised or when it feels like it's confusing or they don't know what to do to fix those problems. But, it, but, you know, you said we're at a hackathon, right? Like, we're at a hackathon because, you know, the, you know, the API vendors, like, don't know what the next cool thing is, right? Like, and that's what's so awesome about hackathons, right? Like, not everyone's going to build the next TikTok, but, like, one person might. Um, I've been going to hackathons for well over a decade. And, you know, over that time, there are at least a dozen actual startups and companies that have spun out of these hackathons that, like, still exist today. Um, so it happens all the time and it just feels really good to support developers that are kind of like on day one of like that startup journey.
2: The uh, The example of Wikipedia you mentioned was really fascinating. Um, I would like in my mind, I feel like that's something that only um, the top tech companies can do. OpenAI, Google to index like the entire corpus of Wikipedia. Um, do you know off the top of your head? How much data that was? Um, how big the vector database that you created? Um, how long it took to index that, and if it would be feasible for like a, an
0: individual developer, a hacker to no, do that? Yeah. So it's um the the I I'm, I'm not sure. Like I, I know I, I know for sure actually um, Hugging Face like has like a snapshot database uh, snapshot of Wikipedia. I'm not sure if we used their snapshot or used something else. It's actually it's huge, yeah. but it's not it's it's not as huge like as you think yeah. um, relative to like other data sets. Um, for the Wikipedia for the WikiChat demo that we ended up shipping, we actually decided to focus less on the whole corpus of Wikipedia and more on the real-time updates. Yeah. We've actually built multiple Wikipedia demos. Like there's mm-hmm. one demo that did ingest like the snapshot that we had and like let, let you ask questions there's another demo where we trained it on just the most popular pages and then we wired up these real-time updates I I would say though you're, you're exactly right I mean if you there's sort of a difference between going from a fun demo or a demonstration um, or a hack to getting baked into Wikipedia right um, that requires, resources commitment um, and it requires like w- Wikipedia's like involvement right like you know they they need to be you know w- when people land on on the actual website or the actual application like it isn't enough to sort of have the capabilities like in the background right there has to you know you actually have to figure out like how do you change the interface right and, like how do you actually create new ways for people to ask ask those questions um, it's like super exciting I mean this is like early work that's just getting started. Um, but, but I think it's also just a great example. I mean, like Wikipedia, Wikipedia is like one, when you start to think about like what other, what other data sources are out there. Right. I mean, like think about Yelp reviews, like think, think about like, you know, Foursquare recommendations. Like there's just, there's just all these people, people have been talking about big data for, I don't know. I mean, let's just call it 10 years. I mean, maybe more, maybe less. It's hard. It depends on how you describe it. Um, and companies like DataStax and others have been building these big data products. And I think one of the things that has just never been unlocked is like, okay, like we have big data, we know how to store it, but like, what do you do with it, right? How do you unlock the data? And I think up until now, like nobody has had like like really great ideas on how to do that. Um, and I think now that's changing. So now like developers, companies, startups, like... There is sort of, like, there's just so much opportunity to, like, figure out, like, what all of these data sets are and, like, what are the ways in which you can create completely net new value by unlocking them and, like, remix, like, what about, I mean, we're, we're like, talking about these things in isolation. Like, well, what if you could, like, merge, you know, factual Wikipedia information with, like, some other kind of data set, right? And then, and then ask conversational, like, questions, like, about, about those two things together, like I just sort of I just I'm just like pulling things out of the air, right? Um, but I think this this is the place that we're people. This is the place that people are exploring, right? Um, and there's also two. Different, there's also like you. I think we talked. I don't know if we mentioned it earlier, but you asked a really like great question about um, maybe low code or like hey, like what is what does generative AI mean to you know non developers yeah. or people that are I don't know they're whatever they're like semi developers. You know they're you know they're they they're have they're people that can, like, l- open up a code notebook and kind of, you know, piece through some of the Python. Like, what does the world mean for people like that? And I think it's amazing, right? I think that, like, there is um, a lot of the vendors, a lot of people, vendors that are working in this space, you know, Llama Index, you know, other people, like, they're, they're not necessarily making net new software possible, Um, But they are like productivity tools, like they are enablement tools, like they're making it easier to build generative AI experiences. They're making it more repeatable and like faster um, or more accessible, right? Like I'm positive that there are a raft of no code platforms that are going to be coming out in the next few years. They're going to be completely optimized for people that are technical enough to like envision a problem, find a data set and wire like wire these things together. Um, I, they haven't been built yet, right? Or maybe people are working on them right now. But I think that's going to be like completely fascinating. Yeah, I completely
1: agree. I am convinced that the future of programming, uh, maybe not like immediately, but you know, ten years from now, uh, it'll essentially be um, one person just prompting the computer at like a product developer and. Um, It'll just be built. Um, I, I think that's, uh, <laughs> like, the the days of us, like, actually, like, going into, like, a text file and, uh, right. you know, writing Python code, I, I think those days are are numbered. Maybe for the people who want to eat the last bit of performance, but I think, like, for the average uh, developer, um, we're going to see that. I don't think it's the technology is ready yet. I think it's, you know, there for some smaller programs, but I, I'm, I agree with you. I think uh, that is, uh, like, one use case that we're going to see. Uh, in the future, uh, for sure. Um, So um, anyways, it seems like uh, you have a a lot of uh, experience with uh, developer relations. Um, So let's imagine I'm a person who maybe uh, was thinking about developer relations, and it's something that I want to get into. Uh, Do you have any advice for uh, those type of folks uh, who maybe want to be in your position one day for developer
0: relations? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, I think it's an amazing job, right? but I, I would be super clear, like, it's really easy to, like, test out of it, right? Like, first of all, um, you, you just, if you want to be in developer relations, like, you have to be a developer. Um, there are people in companies that, like, don't understand that principle. They, a lot of DevRel teams sit in marketing organizations, including mine. Um, and there's sort of a thought that, like, oh, well, you know, we can, I don't know, we can just kind of grab someone who's, like, a little bit technical and we can sort of put a developer relations T-shirt on them. And they can do Devrel, like no, you can't. Um, and and there's a really good reason for that because the number one, um, not maybe not the number one, but like one of the mo- one of the critical uh, characteristics that you have to have for being in Devrel is you have to have tremendous empathy for developers. You should have tremendous empathy for humans in general. Like if you're kind of, if you find yourself not really caring about people in your life, um, or people that you encounter um, in like in in your in your life. Uh, you're not going to enjoy Devrel, right? Like Devrel requires you to like almost instantly like have care about another person like getting unblocked, unstuck, being successful. So like you have to have empathy. You have to have, but you also have to have developer empathy. Like when someone comes to you with their with their laptop and they're showing you an error in Visual Studio Code, like you can't just sort of be like, oh, that's, that's interesting. I have no idea what that means, right? Like re- real empathy comes from walking a mile in someone's shoes. From sort of totally relating to like the problem that they're having, and then of course being technical enough to helping to helping get them unblocked, right? So, so that is that's a great way to like test out, right? Like if you're not a developer and you haven't been the kind of person that's gone out of your way to help other developers, like without it being your job, you probably just won't like the you won't like it, you know, and you won't be a good fit for it. Um, so great. So once we once you kind of establish that, like where did DevRel people come from? Um, they come from technical jobs that you all are familiar with, right? They come from engineering. Um, they come from, uh, like, technical support. Um, there, are, uh, there are plenty of people that have been in technical, like, te- technical support roles at API or platform companies that um, where they're spending literally every day helping people, helping developers debug some error message or something that's wrong with their app. Those people um, often get into DevRel and do really, really well. Um, sales engineering, um, sales engineering and DevRel are like kind of highly related, right? Like a sale, a really good sales engineer, um, is sitting down with another developer at a company that you're trying to sell a product to and helping them figure out how to like, how to build the thing or build the prototype or get unstuck. Right? So there's just a bunch of different flavors of engineers, Um, of engineering roles that, like, are feeders uh, for DevRel. If you've never worked in tech before, um, okay, cool. Like, you know, just a computer science degree, um, graduating from a boot camp, like the normal paths that you would think about using to get into an engineering role, those can be reasonable paths for getting into a DevRel role. Um, And then, then, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, like, uh, so, like, you know, once you've kind of identified that you think that you'd be good at it and that you would enjoy it, I mean, I I think I said this earlier. I mean, the the core function of a DevRel team is to sort of serve developers and, like, help them be successful. Um, So that's just what you would be doing on a daily basis, right? Like, like, maybe part of what's awesome about being an engineer is that you yourself get to build amazing things. Um, And maybe you feel really satisfied about that, right? Um, DevRel is a much more humbling role right? Like the definition of your success is other people being really successful and playing a small part in in doing that. Um, if that is something that you could get excited about, you know, sort of like serving other people and helping them sort of be the stars, then yeah, DevRel's for you. Um, if you're the kind of person that thinks that DevRel is some kind of vehicle for becoming a minor celebrity on Twitter or accruing like a lot of followers um, and there are plenty of DevRel people out there that operate in that way. Um, I think eventually, like, you'll find it dissatisfying, right? Um, because ultimately, like, it's just not about, you. it's not about me, and it's not about the DevRel people. It's about the community of people that they're trying to help and support. I feel the same way as an organizer, too, right? Like, I, you know, when I'm not DevReling for data stacks, like, I organize the Seattle JavaScript meetup, um, I organize a conference called CascadiaJS, and my attitude about these community events is like the less time I'm on stage, <laughs> the better. and the more time the speakers <laughs> are on the stage, the better, right? Because that is who people have come to see. That is who people have come to learn from. I prefer to fade into the background and just like make sure that everyone's having a good time um, and that they're enjoying themselves and getting value out of these events. Um, I just think if you have if that, if that if you're listening and that kind of sounds like you. Like you're the kind of person, you're the kind of person that stays until the end of a meetup and without being asked, you help an organizer stack chairs. Like if you've ever done that in your life, like you might love DevRel. Um if you're the kind of person that goes to conferences and events and like, you know, I don't know, has never once even considered volunteering or helping out, um, DevRel might not be for you. Okay.
1: Yeah, that that's a great answer. Um so that's pretty much all the, the main questions I have, Shashank. Do you have anything else? No, I think that's it.
2: Um, well I was going to ask, is there anything else that uh, you wanted to plug? Um, <laughs> or maybe uh, one thing that came to mind was uh, you mentioned how AstroDB handles both uh, NoSQL and uh, Vector stores. So uh, are there any other tools in uh, the DataStax portfolio that we could piece together to uh, make a more rich experience?
0: I mean, Dedasex has like a, a a lot of different products. Like, there's a really cool streaming product. Um, I'd say, um, I think it just, it just completely depends on what you're trying to build. Um, I think for you know for folks that are listening, um, like I think really like the the ve- like I, we launched we launched the, the the vector capabilities for AstroDB like like less than a year ago, like maybe six seven eight months ago. Um, so they're they're like relatively new. The, um, there's a brand new data, like developers will see this when they check out our docs. Like there isn't just one API for interacting with Astra. There's several, Um, and some of them are more legacy than others. Um, But there's a brand new data API that we launched pretty much exclusively for like JavaScript and Python developers. Um, uh, We launched, I think we launched it in preview three or four months ago, and we just went GA like two weeks ago. Um, and this this API is completely designed for people and developers building in generative AI. Um, It's, like, optimized for for sort of, you know, inserting uh, all of, like, all of your information without needing to worry about uh, defining sort of your data model or your schema in advance, um, inserting your vectors, running these similarity searches um, on the vector store. Um, Honestly, like, my... I don't want to plug anything like if I want if if I had to plug anything, I would simply I would really ask everyone, please, like spend spend an hour trying like trying to build a simple rag application. Right. It's like people talk about this stuff all the time. Right. You know, you just like you can talk about rag and gen AI and like, I don't know, you can kind of navel gaze and like, you know, read hacker news like every day and every week the tools get better. And it becomes easier and easier for people to actually build something in like thirty minutes or less. So I, my, my only ask is that everyone who's listening, who is a developer or a semi-developer, like go find like a good tutorial. Like we have a bunch of really great tutorials um, on our docs. Like whether it's us or somebody else, like go build your first rag application um, and like see what see what you think, right? See if it was easier than you thought, um, or maybe it was harder than you thought, right? Um, but just go do it. Because I think the thing about generative AI, the thing, and all these new technologies, like you know, same with crypto, same with all this new stuff, people talk about it, people read about it, but a lot of people silently assume it's too complicated for them. So like they talk about it, they read about it, they think about it, but they don't do it, right? They're like, ah, you know, I like that's too that's too complicated for me. I want people to go try and do it and sort of find out whether they're right or wrong about that. Um, in terms of data stacks, in terms of like what we're building, like all of like you know like all of the company's energy um and certainly all of my team's energy is focused on Astra and like Vector right so like go check it out um I've talked to what dozens and dozens and dozens of developers this weekend about their experiences building um on Astra the things they liked about it the things they didn't like about it um like like I said this is like mile 1 of the 26.2 mile marathon like Astra is going to keep getting better, but it's only going to get better if people, um, if we get feedback, right? You know, if we, we, if we sort of see, like, if we see what pe- people are trying to build, right? Like, you, you, you can't imagine how challenging it is to build Legos and to build platforms when you don't have clarity on, like, what the use cases are, right? Like, you just don't know what people are going to try to build and what kind of, like, limitations they're going to run into. Um, so every day we get smarter about what people are actually trying to build and how we can optimize Astra to sort of serve their needs. Um, so yeah, and it's just really exciting. So I just, I want everyone, um, to go try to build their first chat bot. And if you can't, or if it seems like it's too hard, um, you know, reach out to, uh, the folks you know, who are hosting this podcast and at, and at, and as a, you know, as a community, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's as a community, um, we all need to kind of, come together and build resources, right? Like we need to build, you know, like, you know, web pages that have like links of like, you know, tutorials and guides and like, you know, we're we're all learning together, right? And some of us um, are a little ahead of others and we just need to kind of help people catch up. But it's just, um, it's really exciting. I just want, I want people to try it with their hands um, and see what they think. Yeah,
2: absolutely. I would echo the same thought. There's tons of examples, uh, tons of meetups out there too. So meet folks in person or even online, I think Datastacks is a great uh, AI chatbot starter example on GitHub. Check that out. Um, And uh, it's like I I remember seeing a tweet that said, uh, if you think you're late to the game now, it's like saying you're late to the the Internet in the 2000s. (laughs) Still a long way to go, um, and this is really exciting. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks, guys. Much appreciated.